Amen. Um, how many of you guys have received some books? Two new books, two books. But just so you know, each one of those books are $100 a piece. You pay up before you leave. <laughs> just teasing, just teasing. Those books are giving compliments of Dr. Creflo and Pastor Taffy Dollar. <laughs> so we don't want you to just decorate your shelves with them. We want you to read them. And hopefully through reading them, that God will bring some good inspiration and revelation that is going to change our world to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I've got 45 minutes. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And uh, you should have received the notes for this message. This, uh, we are dealing with the subject of the marketplace ministry. And the first lesson on that will be the one, that's lesson one, marketplace ministry, the four chapter gospel. Acts chapter 17, verse 17. Therefore, he reasoned in his synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers. And in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Now, all of us will admit that Apostle Paul was the foremost missionary in the New Testament. And from reading this passage in Acts 17, 17, we noticed that he not only preached in the synagogues, but the Bible says he also interacted in the marketplace, how many times? Daily. With those who happened to be there. So it begs the question, what is the marketplace? The marketplace is where majority, and the emphasis on majority, majority of men and women spend a majority of their time interacting with a majority of the lost world. Did you all get that? It's in your notes anyway. Oh no, that one is not in your notes. Okay, that one you have to pay for. <laughs> Actually, it's in your notes on page 34. Okay, so this where majority of men and women spend majority of their time interacting with the majority of the lost world. Now, does it not make sense that if we are truly trying to reach the world, we should take the gospel to where the world is rather than trying to compel the world to come to us? Right off the bat, if we don't change the way we are doing ministry, even though we've embraced the grace message, we will find out that we are employing the old covenant methodology. Okay? Let me back up and explain that. All through the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, the command was to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
All through Old Testament, the command was go to Jerusalem. That's where everything is happening. Go to Jerusalem. Okay. Let me, let me translate that. Using the Old Testament paradigm, the command was to compare people to go to church. That's where, it's, that's where it was happening. Church, church, church. Jerusalem was the place. And that was the instruction. Israel, go to Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem. Old Testament. In the new, Jesus is not asking them to go to Jerusalem or translation. He's not asking them to go to church. He's asking us to go from church. So in the old, it was come. Under grace in the new is go. That's why he said, go ye into the world. He didn't say go to the church. Go ye where into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen? So if we are ever going to fulfill the great commission, we must change our paradigm. We cannot sit in our ivory towers of a nice big edifices and compel the world to come to us. That is a direct disobedient to the Great Commission. That's not what Jesus said. He didn't ask us to sit in church and ask the world to come to us. He said we should go to them. I mean, am, I, am I making this up? Okay, because you guys are looking at me very, very, very I, was, I just want to make sure I'm not making it up. So, we thank God for all of the advances in missions, advances in evangelism. Uh, we do our big crusades. We pack the stadium. People make decisions for Christ. Those things are good. They are needful. We thank God for them. But that will never fulfill the mandate. Because Jesus' plan is that his church will leave the church and go to where they are. That's why in his earthly ministry, he went from place to place to place to place to place. And when you look at it, when you read the four Gospels, you discover that 39 of the 40 miracles that Jesus did all happened outside of the church. They happened all outside of the church. Amen? So the marketplace represents for us where the majority of the people are, where they spend most of their time, and where we can interact with them most of the time. Market place ministry. This is essential because we will never transform our culture or our nations if we don't conquer or transform the marketplace. Case in point, this great USA with the advance of the gospel, whether it's in church, in the internet, radio, television, etc., etc., etc. We have everything. But would you agree with me that when we look at the national landscape of our nation, the excitement we have in the church does not translate in the national discourse? Because how in the heck can we so many years later be grappling with same-sex marriage issues. Where do we lose it? Because we are busy 
emphasizing and shedding lights to one another in the church and the marketplace was going straight to hell. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We were discipling the church, but we did not disciple the marketplace. And the marketplace is where the media is. The marketplace is where creative arts are. The marketplace is where the government is. The marketplace is where the business is happening. The marketplace is where education is taking place. So while we are busy fighting over our rules and rules, who gets baptized, who does not get baptized, the marketplace is totally, completely ignored, and therefore, there is no impact of the grace of God in the marketplace. And they make rules, and they send it to us in the church, and we complain. We are not doing ministries there, but they make these rules, they pass these laws, they pass these bills, because, you know, we, we don't get involved in politics, and so now when they just say, this is what's going to happen, we complain. So the church has become Mr. or Mrs. Complaint. Rather than being proactive in doing what God has called us to do. I truly believe that when Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And at the end, the earth shall come. It's referring to the fact that we are going to disciple nations. There are two parts of that great commission, Mark 16 and Matthew 28. Mark 16 refers to the preaching of the gospel to individuals. But Matthew 28 says we should disciple nations. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Matthew 28 tells us, he said, all authority has been given unto me. Go ye therefore and disciple nations, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I've taught you. So there's a, there's a place to Preach the gospel to individuals, but there's another place to actually be responsible for discipline of nations. Now, this is huge. How do you disciple a nation? How do we disciple the United States? How do we disciple Nigeria? I just talked about how in the U.S., even though we have a great influence of church and the message, and the tools and technology, and yet there are some things happening in our nation that is adverse, that we all do not like. Nigeria is another classical example. I don't believe there's any nation in the world that prays more than Nigeria or Nigerians. Are the Nigerians here? Can you guys say amen to that? Amen. <laughs> I don't know anywhere else in the world where you can call a prayer meeting and two million people show up. The challenge is while you are praying, you better grab your, get, get hold of your pen or, or, your, or your phone or your bag. Because while your eyes are closed praying, your bag is disappearing. <laughs> right there in the prayer meeting. In fact, I was just, where, where, was, where were we? Uh, we were in one place in Nigeria two, two months ago. Uh, I, I, we were at a public function, me and Pastor Mike. And uh, uh, towards the end of the meeting, I had to go up to the platform uh, to pray. And, and when I got done, I put my cell phone in my pocket, my side pocket. So the meeting dismissed. This is believers. I mean, hey, we have, hallelujah, praise God. We dismissed. I walked from the auditorium to the car, and my phone was gone. 
And so when I told her, I said, my phone is gone. He said, where did you put it? I said, in my pocket. I said, ah, that was a gift. He said, <laughs> Very expensive phone, man. I said, man, they got me this time, but they won't get me again in Jesus' name. <laughs> yeah, but I'm saying that to say, for some reason, this message that we've preached, we've embraced, we've talked about, has not gotten out to the marketplace. It hasn't. And so, the responsibility to bring this message to the marketplace lies upon us ministry gifts. Because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 it gives some apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers and evangelists for the edifying or building up or perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry. Another translation says for the, uh, to, to edify them for the work of their ministry. This is huge. So my job, my, your job, is not just to have people in our churches sucking the air, receiving the message, shutting up. Our job is to help them discover who they are, develop the gift of God in them, and deploy that gift in the marketplaces, discover, develop, deploy. Everybody is not called to fight for ministry uh, position. And we, we, especially we, maybe somebody comes to our church, they're a businessman, uh, they know two or three scriptures, they, they carry an anointing, a grace upon them. And for some reason, immediately we convert him to a pastor. A musician plays music, anointed. The next thing we are thinking about is, man, you need to be, we, we put a label on them, Pastor John Doe. Go pastor the church. Hello. What makes us think the only way to function is in, in this pulpit? Only 3% of the entire body of Christ is called to a pulpit ministry. Three, three percent. One, two, three. On do toi. If you speak French. Three, three percent called to a pulpit ministry. And God, as a master builder, as a strategic thinker, do you think he wants to waste 97% of his resources when he only costs three to the pulpit? He has given to you and I that grace to help discover, develop, and deploy the 97% so that they will go to the marketplaces and represent him there and bring the grace of God into that domain so that God can take over and have rule and control and authority in that space. But unfortunately what happens is we, we, we try to convert everybody to to the pulpit. Think about this. If anybody in your congregation has a political ambition, where are they nurtured? Where are they nurtured to go into politics 
and represent God. George Washington University, Harvard. You see, because when they go to Harvard and George, George Washington, when they finally get into position, they begin to spew out liberal views. And we complain. But while they were sitting in our churches, we didn't train them. All we said was, bring your tithe. Bring your offering. Your prophet's offering. Your nothing that's of relevance to what God has called them to do. We never help connect the dot between their God-given destiny with their faith. So they think coming to church on Sunday is just to get them emotions aroused and shut them from Monday through Saturday until they get the next shot. The next, the next, uh, yeah, the next shot on Sunday. But the church should be a briefing station. That's the training ground so that people will come into our churches, be trained, be developed, and know how to function when they get to the marketplace. That's our job. We must not confuse the ministry of the saints with the essential services inside the church uh, uh, building. Okay, let, let, let me say that again. Okay, so we know that when we have a church service, there are some essential things that we need to do. We need children's, we need people to work in children's ministry. We need people to be ushers. Uh, we need people to play, to minister in uh, praise and worship. Those things are essential services. Hear what I'm about to say. All of those roles are important. They are essential services, but that was not the reason for which Jesus died for anybody. Wow. Like this microphone. As long as I need my voice to be amplified, I need a microphone. So when this meeting is over, and I no longer need a microphone, what happens? I put it down. Pack it up. Its usefulness is finished. Isn't that a message we convey to our church congregation? If I've trained you to just be an usher, or a children's worker, where you only function on Sunday. After Sunday is over, we don't need children's ministry. We don't need ushering. Your destiny is packed until next week. Because we've been so churchy in our thinking and limited in our understanding to just think it starts with the church. You don't understand. The church is the entry to the kingdom. But it is not the kingdom. Woo. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot see or enter into the kingdom of God. If I enter, that means that's the entrance. That's the starting point. The church is the starting point, but it was never intended to be the destination. The church is the entry into the kingdom of God. The entire world is the kingdom of God. Kingdom, two words, king and domain. Kingdom, two words, king and domain. Kingdom. So God wants to rule in every human domain. <laughs> Did you get that? 
He wants to rule in every human domain. So he says if there's a government, that's a domain. I want to rule there. If there's media arts, that's a domain. I want to rule there. If there's, uh, if there's uh, entertainment, I want to rule there. If there's a family, I want to rule there. If there's business, I want to rule there. Anywhere where people gather is a domain under the kingship of God. But we must prepare the people who will function there. That's what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse, verses 5 and 6. He loved us, washed us by his blood, and has made us to become kings and priests unto him. What does a king do? Issues decrees. A king issues decrees. A king rule. Do you believe you are a king? You have to believe it. He wants to make us kings and priests. A king rules. A priest standing in a gap. But not only that. He's calling you and I to raise up for him more kings and more priests. I don't want to blow a bubble. I thank God for the honor and the privilege to minister from a pulpit. But as far as God is concerned, like Pastor Taffy said, we are all equal. Every believer is a minister. Not just some. Every believer is a minister. We just minister from various for a different platform. I really thank God that we're beginning to see something happening these days. We've seen a lot of people coming up as comedians. Gospel-based comedians. Clean ones. Isn't that wonderful? After all, we've heard all this trash from Hollywood and all this trash from... And finally, God is raising up some people and they're understanding who they are and they're not trying to be a pastor or a worship leader. They know that their gifting is to, is to, is to make people laugh. And the Bible talks about how laughter does good like a medicine. They understand their calling. They are securing their calling. And they are using their calling to be a blessing and connect to the world. That's a marketplace ministry. So God gave us a template in the scriptures for how to disappoint a nation. He did. Isn't it interesting then in Exodus 25, God told Israel to build him a tabernacle. Exodus chapter 25. He told them that. But when you read before then, you will see that God had actually trained those guys on how to build when he worked for Pharaoh. They built him supply houses, the Bible said. So God said, okay, I've given this skill. I've used and tried it now. We're going to transfer the technology. Build my house. Do you understand what I'm saying? So God used Israel as a template for the church in understanding how to disciple nations. Let me just give that to you very quickly. There had been no poorer nation on the face of this earth from time past till the present as was the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. Think about that. There was no poorer nation. 
And when the Hebrews came out of Egypt, number one, they were not a cohesive nation. Number two, they had no government. Number three, they had no standing army. Number four, they possessed nothing. They were slaves. No resources whatsoever. And in a few years, we read how the queen of Sheba went to this same Israel and she said, there is no more spirit left in me. How did God take this band of slaves and in years to come, transform them to a nation that became the envy of the world till today? All of those passages we read in the scriptures that are boring, that we don't even like, that names we cannot call, were God's discipleship curriculum for Israel. Remember, they had no government. They had no healthcare system. They had no educational system. Nothing. They had nothing. There is no other nation like them today. None. And yet, God took them and said, you just follow me. Yes, yes, just follow me. Whether you understand what I'm saying or not, just follow it. And you see what will happen. And now, they are the envy of the entire earth. All of those chapters that talks about how women should take care of their uh, monthly issues. What was that about? Hygiene. Healthcare. What do you do with your waste? God was systematically teaching them health sciences, Education, you teach your kids when you go to school, when you come back, I mean, when you go to work, when you, when you go to the farm, when you're coming home, everywhere you go, talk to them. I mean, it was giving them lessons on what to do. Warfare, how you, how you, how you, how you fight a war. So all of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of those very, very hard passages were God's discipleship lesson on every sphere of human existence. What they needed to do with education. How they did their business. How they borrowed money. How they had elections. How they choose leadership. The whole thing is there. Uh, did you guys read that in your Bible? Now they didn't always obey. But God told them enough. And they got enough of it. To where in a few years. They became a stable. Prosperous. Incredible. Powerful nation. And because of God's covenant till this day, Israel is still flourishing. Amen? Amen. So this idea, what I'm, what I'm sharing with us today is we need to be intentional in marketplace ministry training. You must begin from the, from the, from the position that every person in your congregation is a minister. Now, does that mean you go and give them all a card and make them reverend, pastor, doctor? No, that's not what I'm saying. But actually, Jesus was very radical. Because in John chapter 16, he said, I ordain you. Did you see that in your Bible? Ah, should I read it to you? Oh, okay. Maybe you guys can go home on Sunday and have an ordination service. Watch what it says. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. 
Mm. Yeah, John 15, I'm sorry. John 15, verse 16. Look at what it says to them. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit. Now, that word appointed in the original King James is the word ordained. You did not choose me, but I chose you and ordained you. Oh, this will scare some of you. He's talking to people that were not born again. No, you didn't hear me. Jesus is radical to ordain people who were not even born again. Can you take that? Oh, okay. Let, 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 me, let me throw another one at you. That's going to really rock your boat. He called them disciples and they were not born again. What are you saying? What are you suggesting? You see, God called those things that be not as though they were. He was not looking at those guys on a basis of their present condition. <laughs> he was looking at them and speaking to them based on the destiny that was inside of them. See, you and I, John chapter 7, we judge according to appearance. But Jesus was judging righteous judgment. Huge. He was calling them to something greater than they were at the present moment. And therefore, they responded to the higher calling. Amen? Amen. Now, uh, you should, uh, let, let, let me, let me, give me the overhead, give me the uh, four chapter gospel. I have a diagram. You got it? Oh, thank you very much. Look at this. Now, I, I just want to share this briefly and then I'm going to take your questions. Because this is important. In uh, Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 4, Ephesians 1 4. Look at what it says. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So, when were we chosen? Before the foundation. Before the foundation. We were all chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, I'm going to ask you a very tricky question. Was it just us that was chosen or everybody else? Everybody else. <laughs> everybody else. That you are chosen did not mean you are going to answer that uh, choice. Many were chosen, but they just didn't answer. Okay, let me read one more scripture, then I'm going to explain this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. This is big. 2 Timothy 1, 9. It says, Who has saved us 
and call us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and what? Grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. When did he give the grace? Before time began. Before time began. Now, the reason I read these two scriptures is because of what, I, what I'm calling this four-chapter gospel. It is very common for you and I that when we encounter a person that's not a believer, the story of a witness usually, usually starts with what I call the two-chapter gospel. Don't give me the two-chapter first there. Thank you. So what do we do? We go to the blue box or blue circle. We talk about God and man, Adam. And we say, you know what? You need to be saved because you are a sinner because when Adam fell, all mankind, all mankind fell into sin. And then we say, we go to this red circle and we say, Jesus went to the cross so that we may be saved, so that you can be born again. Now, we may say it in various different life ways or verbiage and all that stuff, but basically, those are the two things. Number one, man fell into sin. Number two, Jesus came to rescue us. That is an incomplete presentation of the gospel. Incomplete. Because that emphasizes a two-chapter gospel. This is huge. And I pray that God will help us to understand what I'm about to say now. Give me the four chapters. Here we go. It is important for anyone we're speaking to to understand that before man ever fell into sin, God had a purpose for that man. That's chapter one. Before Adam ever, I mean, Adam fell into sin in Genesis chapter 3. There were two chapters before chapter 3. So what happened in chapters 1 and 2? Chapters 1 and 2 is where God expressed his purpose and his reason for the creation of man. I've created you man to be in relationship with me and be in partnership with me for the earth. We have got to take man back to the original purpose. The original intent. So when I see an unbeliever, rather than tell them you fell into sin and Jesus came to save you, I let them know God has a purpose for your life. <laughs> Bring them back to the original intent. It doesn't matter what you are doing now. Smoking dopes, drinking tequila. It doesn't matter what you are doing. I want you to know, before you begin to smoke your dope, God had a purpose for you. And that purpose was purpose in his son, Christ Jesus. And there's a grace that accomplished that purpose. And I want you to know, no matter where God finds you now, God's purpose in your life can come to pass. Amen. Original purpose. That's chapter one. That's the creation. God had an original intent. Dog, are you living God's intent for your life? 
Can you imagine if you ask an unbeliever that question? It's going to scratch your head. Because the only contact they have had with the gospel, you are a sinner. You need to be born again. Mm. Yeah. But if I now change that and say, man, Sam, are you living God's original intent for your life? Mm. It's, going to, it's going to have you thinking. Yeah. It's going to have you thinking. Because now I'm not being accusatory. I'm not putting you down. I'm not condemning you. I'm not putting guilt on you. I'm just asking you a question. Are you living the original intent? That's the first chapter. So when man fell in the second chapter, what did that do? The fall of man took me off-ended. The fall of man took me away from God's original intent. It caused an aberration. It caused a pause, if you will. Are you following what I'm saying? The fall caused me to go off course. So when Jesus now came, he not only came to save me, which he did, thank God for that. He saved me, but he now reconnected me back to the original intent. Oh, hallelujah. So my salvation is not a destination, but my salvation now allows me to begin the journey that was originally intended to make. So the first chapter emphasizes creation. Why am I here? Why do I exist? Second chapter says, man fell. Third chapter says, Jesus rescued me. So I can be about the original intent. And the fourth chapter says, there's a day coming, a day of restoration, when God will restore all things back the way he wanted it. Does that make sense? That's the full gospel. And understanding that, now it keeps me to minister in the marketplace. Because when I go to the marketplace now, I'm not beating people down with a Bible on their head. You must be born again. Yes, they have to be. They need to be born again. But that's, that's not the message now. The message is, you know, God loves you. He has a purpose for your life. You get them thinking. How do I find that purpose? Ah, good. I'm glad you asked. Jesus came to connect you to that purpose. Totally different. Non-threatening. And yet, opens people's heart to receive what God has for them. Because no longer are they condemned. That's, the, that's, that's been the message of the church. Even though Jesus made it clear that he did not come to the world to condemn the world. He said it. Yet, we propagate a message that most times only brings condemnation. And that's not what God wants to accomplish. Amen? Amen. The rest of it is in your notes. I'll just take a few questions and then we can go. Amen. <laughs> Any questions? Now, do you understand what your role is now? Our role as pastors is trainers. Thank you, sir. Trainers. We should be training people. And, and, and like I said, a professor at a university 
does never, never intends to keep the students in that school forever. You have an expectation that these students one day will graduate. And that when they graduate, they will go out and practice what you're teaching them. That's exactly what God expects of the church. That the folks in our congregation will receive enough information or equipment where they can go out and function. Now, functioning does not mean they disconnect from the church and go and start their own church is necessary. No. But it means wherever field that they are functioning it, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, a politician, a businessman, you receive the truth of the word of God. You now take that to your field and begin to actively share the kingdom of God by the wisdom of God through whatever gift or field you are in. I tell people, the first time the Spirit of God was mentioned in the scripture relating to, uh, to, to a person being filled with the Spirit was in Exodus. Exodus chapter 31. Bezalel. A craftsman. A craftsman was filled, the Bible says, with the Spirit of God. Now, if a craftsman came to my church and your church today, how do we receive them? We will never think there's anything spiritual about what they do. We just relegate them to one corner and make sure we send them enough envelopes to give their offering. But we never help them to understand how their work can be connected to their faith. And yet Jesus, the Bible says, was the carpenter. Think about that. The carpenter. Can you imagine in Jesus' workshop, whatever cabinet, tables, or chairs he made, were they the best ones? Or were they medicals? Or the customers complain? What was, I mean, can you imagine what that was like? What would his message be like if he was a bad carpenter but trying to be a good preacher? <laughs> People would not have received the message for the bad cheers he made. So we send people out to work to the marketplace who have bad work ethics, bad customer relations, and yet they want to say you must be born again. Where is the credibility in the message? If we are sending up bad workers, but they must also represent Jesus. Do you see the contradiction? Amen. Any questions? <laughs> no questions? This is very good that it uh, answers a question that uh, I've had for a long time. It all of it have answers as a rabbi. Uh, so basically, you just told us that we are trainers of influencers. Absolutely. I really appreciate that. I, I remember I was in a congregation and a pastor for 10 hours with this institution that starts. I mean, working at the university environment, 
Now you understand. I just give you the ice, the tip of the iceberg. This this is a whole. This 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 can be a. Actually, we have a curriculum for this. That's twelve lessons. So I just gave you a, a summary of one of the lessons. So I'm saying that to say, like grace, you just don't get it in one setting. You don't get it at one time. Even for me, I'm continuing to grow in this understanding and revelation. So. So we must understand that there's just much more. So we need to stay hungry and make ourselves available to all of the resources that are available to develop us in, in, in this area. But if, God, if we're going to fulfill the mandate, we have to change the way we do ministry. We have to change the way we do ministry. We can't, we can't try to conscript everybody to the pulpit ministry. Nope. 3% is what God, is what God has. The other 97% must be equipped to function where they are right now. Any other questions? Otherwise, I'm going to turn it to Pastor Tosin. I'm going to go home and get some, go hug my wife and go to sleep. Well, Bishop Fuller, thank you so much for encouraging us today. Gloria, thank you so much, guys, for, for being here. Well, I appreciate you so much. Praise God. Pastor Taffy, thank you so much for your blessing. We really do appreciate this. And uh, yes. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> Amen.